1: Indeed. Welcome to Formula for Success. In the red corner, it's me, Eddie Jordan. And in the blue corner, my sparring partner, it's Mr. David Coulthard. This week, the reason why the change of roles is because our very special guest could maybe jump the table and actually give me a couple of clouts. And I decided that maybe it's better of everybody if David takes on the responsibility of the interviews. So somebody very special is going to be introduced to you.
0: E.J., what an intro.
1: Well... I, you know, natural. <laughs> Come on, David. Uh, this is done for precautionary me- reasons, and uh, I think it's self-preservation. But now that we've mentioned it, our very special guest, and this story has never been properly told, because he was my first-ever driver, and as a result of certain circumstances, it may have led to the introduction of the great Michael Schumacher, but he had a great career himself, none other than
0: Mr. Bertrand Gachot a name that was famous during my time ahead of uh, getting into cars. Um, and I, I love to ask him about some of his uh, exploits and Formula Ford and what have you. And then, of course, you've got the remarkable situation and scenario that led to the debut of Michael Schumacher in Jordan that we can get into a little bit later. People didn't and don't realise what an outstanding driver
1: that Bertram was. And we'll come into that later because, you know, what he's done in in Formula 3, 3000, Formula 1, uh, but in particular in Le Mans and such things. But I just want to pick up on something that we had a couple of weeks ago. um, And when we rambled off about talking about the certain kinds of pills that Sterling Moss had and Pelé had, uh, I actually erroneously forgot to mention the great Mark Gallagher, who had actually sent us a message. Now, David, I know you work with him, and he pays you a lot more money than he pays me. I want to know why is that the (laughs) case. But uh, you do speeches for him. Mark has a a great company that he sends people all around the world uh, representing companies. Um, And I would like to think that hopefully he learned some of that at Jordan. So anyway, don't you think we should uh, have a listen to what Mark has had to say? Yeah, Absolutely. Eddie, I realize a lot of people might think we tend to exaggerate stories about Jordan Grand Prix over time, but I can promise your listeners that every word of that MasterCard story is true, or as I used to say in their ads, priceless. Flying from Brazil into freezing blizzard conditions in New York, ending up in that bar, drinking pints of Guinness on a Monday morning, and then successfully pitching sponsorship to MasterCard. They became such a fantastic partner with you, Eddie, as a sports ambassador alongside none other than the great Pele, who we met in Paris at the 98 World Cup. Crazy times, but we showed a few people what the hunger to succeed really looked like. And my goodness, we had a lot of fun along the way. Love the podcast. Keep the madness going with DC and speak soon. I want to bring up uh, a little... A little part of the thing that we never did speak about, because we talked about Pele and what he did for children, but there was another part of the to the thing that suited me perfectly, and there was a, a very famous Mastercard um, uh, M. What was it called? MBO, uh, Music of Black Origin. And I remember going and presenting all of the trophies to people uh, that had won the awards, people like Usher, uh, people like Pharrell Williams. um, And uh, they were amazing times. So MasterCard, uh, and that really happened. I don't think I would have chased a MasterCard uh, sponsorship um, because it was run in
0: a very different way. And Mark Gallagher was the perfect one. And he made that happen. All right, EJ. Well, I think that's been great to sort of clarify that and, and to have great insight Um from Mark on just how mental it must have been to work for Jordan Grand Prix back in the day. Let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll be joined by Mr Bertrand Gashel. This will be a pleasure but
1: it could go any way David so will you promise me that I'm not as young as I was and my reactions are maybe not as good as they were so um, will protect you protect you. me? I will. I'm, I'm asking you. Now. I, if he gets to the third punch I'll step in. <laughs> just make sure the first two are nice and tough ones. Okay. Anyway, Bertrand. Gacho. This is actually a real privilege, because there's certain parts, we've never really discussed this. and um, Live and exclusive here of Formula for Success. Let's have a
0: see. Well, welcome back. And here I am, and he is, flesh and blood, right in front of me. It's Bertrand Gasho. Whoa. Whoa! Welcome, Bertrand, to London. Nice we we're to see recording you. this podcast. We're international, so we record it all over the world, but we're in... The capital of England. How are you feeling?
2: Yeah, I feel good think, so far. Not sure about this person, but apart from that, it's uh, good. In
1: case anyone who can't see this, because it's a, it's not a TV program, he is pointing at me, and I am very nervous because I'm not sure what anything. So you that should.
0: Here. Well, look, I, I think that before we get into discussing Bertrand's career, his time at Jordan, the journey that has brought us all here together as racers, to just sort of. Can explain to the listeners who are maybe new to to Formula One a little bit your journey? Because I remember as a young carter, seeing and hearing your name in the lower formulas because you had success, but you also had a couple of spectacular crashes that got you on some videos back then, which as a kid, you know, it both excited me and scared the whatnots out of me. Yeah, no, no. But the the thing
2: is, I was a bit desperate, you know, to be honest, uh, my family was not in motor racing at all. And I, I just wanted to... To get there, but I had no money. Every race was my last race until, unless I, I would do very well, or, or was lucky. So, yeah, you know, it's it was a difficult journey, but very interesting. What age did you start? Basically, I had to take a bank loan, and I borrowed money from the bank to start, and I was twenty-one. So you didn't do karting and all the traditional. I did, I did karting, but very much as an amateur. You know, I was I did, just didn't have the money to do it. I got some, a friend of mine that was helping me financially, he, well, a friend, he, he was five-time world champion in cutting, and uh, I came to his shop and I bothered him so much that one day he said, look, just come with us, I'll, I'll look after you, but don't bother me all day, because all day I was trying to, to build this cut and I just didn't have the money, and then he gave me the parts to help me,
0: and that's how I started. So you, you're you're in a minority of racers that have come up through without having been. You know, I started karting at 11. We're not that dissimilar in age. A lot of my generation, some before me, if we were talking on previous um, podcasts about Ayrton Senna, and and he did a long time in karting before he came to cars. So I think it's worth noting that. You, you you fall into that group with Jacques Villeneuve, uh, Damon Hill, who had no history really in motorsport until you get into cars so you were you were learning on the job quite literally totally
2: and you know it, it's funny many times I thought to myself I'm not the real racing driver I, I, I'm like a gentleman driver you know I had, I had no physical training I to be honest with you, when I look back I you know I was really an amateur but I enjoyed it. And uh, I think sometimes I was fast, depends. You're making it sound as if this (laughs) all kind of happened just through a bit of desire and by accident. You cannot imagine the journey. You know, I I remember going to races at the festival. You know, I didn't say to people, I would go to the hotel of the friends at night and and see them eat. I didn't eat because I had no money. And I would sleep in Harold Heisman, which was one of your drivers, truck. I didn't have hotel room. And it was tough, you know, but I just, I, I was so determined. For me, it really was no issue. It was my dream, you know, and, and I won Formula, F- the British Formula Ford 1600. And then the, the year after I won the 2000 championship, uh, Formula Ford 2000. And then I went to Formula 3 with West Surrey, which was a, a, a great team. And, and Marlborough was sponsoring me. So, you know, it was, it was really good. But uh, then I met Eddie. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's not you true. Yeah. The money <laughs> I'm glad he's
1: still smiling because I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm gonna and punch I'm,
0: him. I'm slightly guarded here, but well, anyway, though, I think it's important that then, in the context of our listeners understanding that meeting with Eddie and and the journey. That then saw you uh, end up working together in Formula One, and then we have to obviously go into the events of, of um, you know, the brief uh, break in your, your Formula One career. But what was that first meeting like? And how did that? Was it a, a harmonious relationship you had with him? Was it slightly, you know, shouty? Put us, put us at the time.
2: Well, you know, Eddie's a very soft person, very <laughs> harmonious. You know, when you meet him, everything is easy and smooth. He makes you feel comfortable. Um, and Mister Jordan here. What about yeah, him? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so Eddie is always chaos, and but it was okay at the beginning. We, you know, I was very determined. I had Marlboro, something he wanted, as a sponsor. So obviously, he was very nice. In Formula Three, which is you know one of the lower Formula of Formula One, he had a very good team, and uh, we we were competing, and we we really became the main. His team won the championship, and I finished second. And there was many crashes on the way, a lot of hatred. Yes. Uh, I I remember Spa, where you were nearly in tears because the car was destroyed. Johnny Herbert. Um, Actually,
1: to be fair, Johnny and you are reasonably good friends, aren't you? Uh, Still to this day. Now we're very good friends, yeah.
2: (laughs) Difficult to be friends (laughs) with. Very hard to be
1: friends with, yeah. Crashing. Uh, But actually, Johnny,
2: that was. At the time, my name was Crasho. Really? (laughs) Yeah. You didn't (laughs) know?
1: No, I didn't (laughs) know. (laughs) 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 Because, <laughs> <laughs> I <got to> <laughs> no, did you not notice my two drivers I had in Formula 1 was Crasho and the Crashers yeah. <laughs> do you remember
0: I remember Andrea <laughs> I said Jesus, what, Jesus, have Jesus. I, what have I just allowed myself into here but anyway let's talk about Formula 1 you arrived there uh, you've got your <clears throat> dream opportunity with a great car hey, hold on hold on we had no idea the car was great it looked good it looked amazing it looked good but nobody knew if the car was going to be good or not Okay. So you, you, you test the car and I guess you don't have a lot of experience at that time to actually judge whether it's good no, but or let,
2: let me tell you about that because that's really interesting. So, so first he put his buddy John Watson in the car to test it because he was Irish and he wanted to play that game. So that wasn't what well, I we wanted. go. Were you pissed off about that? No, I just thought it was unnecessary, but it was fine. Okay, no problem. Then basically I got into the car and I'd been racing the year before with a uh, Colony. Yeah, was it Colony? Colony, and, uh, which had uh, the uh, a Subaru engine. So I'd done the whole season. I came in that car put the seat and it looked good. And we went and after two laps, I couldn't hold my head anymore. And I kept saying, the G-Force is just too much. I can't, two laps. <laughs> and then I realized that this car was a bomb. It was really a bomb. It was incredible, fast. Now, just be careful, because some people,
1: in our language, say bomb would be bad. You're actually talking about the car was good.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clarity. The car was incredible. And we beat the lap record just straight away. And it was really easy. And there was good teams which were there that day. And uh, that really, everybody said we were cheating, obviously, that we, we didn't have fuel or anything. But we knew we were sitting on something special. You agree with that? Um, I thought in many respects for a team and its first
1: car, I think on reflection, it was the potential of a world, somebody with a lot of experience and a really top driver, don't get me wrong here, uh, could have had that up fighting for the world championship.
2: No, no, you didn't have an engine. You had an engine for a road car. We're talking about a <laughs> Sorry, th- that <laughs> engine was useless and you know it. Well, it was
0: a third. You see, that's the problem. The He's one. just not sincere, you know? The thing, oh. He knew his engine was rubbish. Okay, we, gentlemen, let's, let's, until at least we get to yes. the end of the podcast, yes, sorry. because there's a lot of expensive camera equipment here. I don't want you kicking off until the end of the show, and then you can settle any old beefs. Let's move this along, because we've got a lot, a lot of territory to, to cover. Um, in this very city where we, we sit right now, you're, you're in your Grand Prix car, career. You've got a brilliant car, But you then find yourself in a situation where somebody disagrees with you and there's a small incident. Uh, Maybe you just give us a bit of background to that incident before we get into talking about your loving team principal's reaction and the way he caressed you through that uh, challenging time.
2: No, this, this this is really something silly. It happened in December, actually, before the season. And basically, I was meeting Eddie, uh, and we were meeting with uh, the, the the board of Pepsi. You remember the people from Pepsi to make the decision on the sponsorship? And I was just driving, and uh, I had a fight with a taxi driver. And the fight is I was sitting in my car, and the guy came out of his taxi, and he wanted to fight, and I just used tear gas, and I defended myself. And I think you should say
1: that you did run, run into the taxi. There was a...
2: Yeah, he kept break testing me. So I said, I pushed him <laughs> a little bit. So I pushed him, but nicely, you know, no damage. A, l- a little tap. A little tap to just say, yeah. I'm here.
0: Yeah.
2: And, uh, Look, and basically the guy understand. came out of the, the taxi and he said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he grabbed me by the tie. And I just, I just didn't even sink. I just took the spray. Defended that, yourself. Yeah. And uh, then I went to, you know, the police came. Because I called the police, like an idiot. Because the guy didn't want to get out of the car. The taxi driver went in my car. He said, "I'm calling the police. I'm not. I'm not moving from here until the police comes." So I called it, and then they came. and And honestly, I went to a police station half an hour later. I was gone, and I joined the meeting. Do you remember? I joined
0: the meeting. So you See, thought it nature. was all done. Yeah, sure. It was all dusted. So they, yeah, they got re- it was all done and dusted. Yeah. And I had to,
2: uh, a day to appear to a court. Uh, which I didn't really understand, a few months later. Bertrand has no,
1: probably, uh, willingness to, to understand that the pain that the team had, because it was... Uh, no one had really an idea. He was going to a court hearing. I had no idea he was getting... I mean, the judge gave you two years, and it was the most incredible. I said, this can't be real. For,
2: for, for what? Two years in jail, years, they, in they kept asking me, why are you in here for? And I said, I use tear gas. And the guy said to me, the other prisoner said, you're joking. You know, I, I use tear gas on a police officer and I got 150 pound fine. He said, you must have used a knife. And I said, no.
0: <laughs> no, it was really Do you think surprising. it was because of the profile of Formula One, the profile of the sport, they, they wanted to try and make an example?
2: 100%. Yeah. But, you know, I should have prepared for that. And to be honest, I was naive. I, I really thought that nothing of it, I thought I was going to get a, a, a slap on the wrist or a fine, you know. I never thought about that. And I had asked multiple lawyers about it, and they all said the same, because when you read it, but, you know, the thing is, the judge wanted to to make an example. He wanted to be the top man that day. I don't know. Just two years was tough, you know.
1: Yeah. How did I you wonder, get it down to two?
2: To two months, we appealed. No, no, I, when, appealed. when I appealed, I got out the same day. And, and you know what is, what, what is amazing? And this is why I have no grudges on it, because the, after that, the, the, the British ambassador to the EU called, called me and some journalists, and you know, he just said, look, we don't understand what happened. It was a travesty of justice. And he said, you're always welcome in England. And I really appreciated that. And you know, also, when I was in jail, I got thousands of letters from people. And, you know, a lot of them was from English people saying what happened. I think you were very unlucky. I really, really do. And I'm
1: saying that, and I think I've said to you previous many times, um, that the judge was, that's why we we didn't do anything about a driver. We appealed it straight away, if you remember. I I like
2: the we, you know. (laughs) If I didn't hear about somebody, it was him, you know. (laughs) Zero. Well,
0: he didn't reach out to you. No, no, he was my manager.
2: Do you understand? He was my manager as well. And I didn't have a letter. I didn't have... Nothing, not a little postcard. Hope you're doing well, Eddie. Here Jordan. are some oranges. Shame Nothing. on you! Uh,
1: look, we were told not to write to him in the nick because it's all searched and it's not seen, and they don't see it. So, yeah, but uh, you
0: were his manager as well as the team principal, team owner. Well, how can I team- be manager exactly. when I had are Michael
1: he- Schumacher in the car?
0: Well, the, the, I was it, trying it, to keep him permanently.
1: I was hoping that the, the the warden would keep them in, keep him in there. You see, he- for the first time, he admits
0: it. I knew it. It took some time, but here we are. (laughs) Well, this is like a session to help clear out the past, remove all those bad feelings, um, I've got to ask you, because I imagine like a British prison, it must be like this lovely suite we're sitting in here at the Kensington Hotel. Is it, is it really comfortable? No, no, it's and,
2: better. It's better. No, no, it's better. The hotel yeah, or the it, prison? No, the prison is better than here. Come on.
0: Really? Yeah. No, look, it's
2: tough. It's tough. And it's honestly said, if, if, you, want the, the, if you think of justice and if the justice is there to hurt people and punish them, it's doing a good job. Now, if it's to help people or to bring them, you know, give them another opportunity, I don't think it's a great job. And I think there are way too many people in prison, in my view. And, I, and I'm not really woke or something. I just think that it was very sad to see a lot of people which were young that spent time there. And, you know, the problem is when you come out of the, the, the prison, it's a spiral, you know, that drags you down. You lose your house. You lose your friends. You lose your job. It's not easy. And, and I just think it's, there there must be better ways than that. It was, a, 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 well on, a human yeah. s- on, on a human side, it was a, an amazing experience. And, you know, I, I met some very, very uh, interesting people. Some obviously not. But I, re- I would say that the, the vast majority were just people which were at the wrong place at the wrong time. A- and really, you know, this, this for me it was an incredible experience.
0: I really respect that, that you share that with mm. us. and I think, that, I think it's, that it's important a, to know. Yeah, and it's a much bigger and, and, and broader conversation than what we're, we're here discussing today um, that maybe we can come back to at another point because for most people, they'll never know what, what that experience is like. And, you know, obviously we're slightly tongue-in-cheek about it now after all these many, many years. But I think you do touch on... On uh, how do you give people a second chance? How how are some people convicted of something that the, the punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime, and and the the various issues that you see come off the back of that, in moving things along? And and I and I do feel you know slightly guilty that we're sort of skipping stones here to get to the point where. The difficulties that you experienced also brought us a name of someone that was known in sports cars, was known coming up through the, the lower formulas, but no one really knew Michael Schumacher until he stepped into your car in Spa. There you are, unable to be in the car. He didn't even make it to turn four, but a career was born.
2: Yeah, and and I must say, you know, I have a lot of respect for Michael and what he did, and also for for him as a man, you know, because... When I came out of jail and I came to the Japanese Grand Prix I went to see him he said he didn't want to talk to me he said you were in jail he said like this jail j a i l you know that's <laughs> were it you I, and me so he could you know, spell so oh. no, no he said it like that immediately Michael came to see me and he said Bertrand I wanted to say anything I can do is really sorry for what happened and it
0: was really I I, I was touched the, the cam I know there's a lot of water has gone under the bridge since, since those moments, but you seem very much at peace with not only your, your early career, the difficulty of the journey to Formula One, but then what happened there that, you know, I think there would be an element inside me that would be going, what if, what could have been? Yeah, obviously I have that, but you know
2: what? Life is so complex and so many things happens that you don't control. I could have been dead many times. You know, we took a lot of risks in those days. You know it. And I'm not going to go there bitter. I enjoy every day. I have beautiful family. I have fantastic friends. And... Uh, <laughs> like, you yeah, for impressed? the listeners, I yeah, yeah, pointed yeah, yeah. Eddie there. I'm not sure he's included in the fantastic <laughs> no, That was a bit friends. sarcastic. <laughs> I have an amazing life. Why, why would I complain? You know, the thing is, it's... I was in the, in the plane the, a few years back now. With Damon Hill, and and we were laughing, you know, because we were in the lower formula together. And I said, you know, amazing, you you won so many Grand Prix, you done so well. And he said, but you know, you too. And I, I said, yeah, I'm happy because I'm alive, I'm good, you know, and life is still fantastic. I didn't achieve my 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 ambition, but I had fun. I drove the best cars. It was it was amazing. So why should I be bitter, you know? And
0: who was I to 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 say, you know,
2: I'm the best in the world and all
0: that? Well, I love that, and I do, and I've got a lot of lot of time for you. I, if we can just take it off track for a moment and share a story with our listeners before we come back to EJ, who can contemplate being nice to you I mean, rather than going J A L E. No, J A I. Oh, you you look anyway. Let's let's take a little story. We're in Australia, and if I remember correctly, I think Michael and his family were at the same location where we were all staying. Either yeah. ahead or after yeah. uh, the Grand Prix in Adelaide, as it would have been in the, at that time. We were in Cairns and we were hanging out. Uh, I think, actually, Andy Stevenson, one of the, uh, the guys who uh, was with you all the way through Jordan. He's Dennis. now team principal at uh, Aston Martin, was there. And we went to this bungee jumping place, not with Michael, but we went, Bertrand, myself and a few others. Johnny. Johnny Herbert was there Jones as well. Herbert. And they would tie this bungee around your ankles. Now, Johnny's ankles are held on with by you know, Skin. chewing gum. So I, don't, Skin. I don't recall how his jump went, but I, I've got to say for a better on it, was, it was around the time the French government were testing nuclear weapons Uh, weapons under the ocean in the Pacific or whatever the ocean is down there. And the person who was at this bungee jumping place, and it was over water, heard his accent and assumed he was French. And we're all standing there, Bertrand's getting ready to jump. They ask him as he's tying the rope, do you want to go in the water or not? He says no. As Bertrand jumps, the guy turns to us and goes, yeah, he's French. I have put an extra metre on the length. <laughs> so, of course, he goes straight in the water. He <laughs> like, goes in your s- nose. Well, yeah, exactly. He's upside down. And I assume it's swearing in French. I don't speak French, but he's in an elevated voice. and blah, 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 Sacre bleu or whatever you say. And um, anyway, you were not at all happy with this guy. And as you are jumping, I said to him, he's not French. He's of German belgian luxembourg i didn't know all your <laughs> nationalities but you you got stitched
2: up there no but it, what, what is funny is we, we we jumped the three of us you johnny and and me and after that we were drained we, we came back to the hotel room and we we're just lying down like we'd smoked something you know we're just lying down and we were drained it was so such an, a scary uh event or i don't know it what was you call it, it I was really scary jumping. you
0: jumped first I, I jumped and i hadn't actually i was so kind of taken by the the situation i didn't check if the guy had tied the knot so as i'm jumping head first i'm going this could be the last jump of my life and you're there and you say why am i doing this i don't need this, this I didn't why do am i jumping off this bridge for no reason you know I'm keen to just a few rapid questions if I can, because I, I just think that your journey of life has been remarkable, and I would like to get on to post-career uh, the success you've had in business. But if I, if I take us back to the racing world, uh, proudest moment in, in racing as a, as a race driver?
2: Uh, probably winning Formula 4 2000 races there, because this, I love that racing. That was tough. Everybody had the same car, same tires. And we were racing. It was really tough. I was racing with a guy called Mark Blundell. Yeah, and I'm sure he's your friend. We, we know more. We and know uh, Mark well. he, who was a tough
0: competitor, uh, we had a lot of fun together. We we hated each other at the time, but yeah. I wonder if there's one single moment, one single crash that was the sort of scariest moment of your your career.
2: Yeah, actually, it was in a Jordan, and I didn't crash, luckily. But we were in Imola. And uh, where Roland Ratzenberg had this crash, and maybe you don't remember, probably you won't, but the, the rear suspension failed on the straight, and I did a 360 at 327 km per hour we saw on the telemetry. And in those days, we were not protected, you know? So the, the, the air would come in the helmet, and the, my helmet took so much air when I went sideways. It came uh, off. I, I was bleeding. You know, the strap was so hurt me so much. It was such a violent thing. I couldn't see anything. So it was not driving talents that I had fixed the car. The car went back straight. And uh, it was really, that was a really scary moment because I knew that, you know, I was out of control. It was just luck.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, motor racing is dangerous. It says it on the ticket. But I think that there was no question that that era that we were all coming up through um, was a pretty raw Period for motor racing. Thankfully, there's a lot more safety. Actually, I, I'd be interested to know your view on this because my view is of course, I don't want to see anyone get injured in, in life and in motor racing. But equally, if you step in a boxing ring, you can't expect not to get punched and, and it to, at some level, hurt. So I don't resent or fear or anything the period I raced where you mentioned, you know, our shoulders used to stick out of the car at the end of a Grand Prix. My my shoulders would be covered in brake dust and oil. But it never felt like we were doing something particularly dangerous or scary. It just felt that's what we were doing
2: at that time. Yeah, but I think that the times have changed. What we did then was acceptable. Today would not be acceptable. And... You know, think of how many of our friends have gone and, you know, it's, you have to, you have to look at it. Is the, the, the risk level, I, I can give you examples which, which, which are crazy. I, I drove for Onyx, which was uh, in 1990, unfortunately a long time ago. But when we put the qualifying ties on for the first time, and I'm, I'm not kidding you, I'm telling you the truth. We put the qualifying ties for the first time I went in the corner, when they got hot and they got the grip, I turned, my whole steering rack ripped itself out (laughs) of the monocoque. We can laugh, I'm sure it was a (laughs) scary moment at the time. And basically, (laughs) when, when that happened, okay, I went back to the pits slowly because the car was going everywhere. The team didn't believe me. They said, you must have hit a curb. I said, I didn't have a chance. It's the first time. I was just going out. And I, when, when I started to load the thing, it broke. And then Stefan
0: happened exactly the same a few laps Stefan later. Stefan Johansson. Yeah, Stefan Sweden Johansson. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. He's an artist now, isn't he? You know, Great we're, artist. We're going yeah. to come on to your business uh, in a moment. But anyway, Stefan went out. Yeah, and, and basically, this was the Formula One in those
2: days. You know, it was very, very dangerous. You had mechanical failures, which were catastrophic you know, at those speeds. And today it's unacceptable, it will not happen. Well, the reliability is so much better now as well. But, um, you
1: know, I think it's important just, if we can park Formula One just for a second, because I I think it's important that I should say this, um, and why I was so desperate for him to come to those 600 delegates from Pepsi Cola, um, because he was outstanding. He was very skilled in a natural way, about finding sponsors, being able to structure things. He had a girlfriend who also was very clued into it and the presentations that you did were very smart and sharp, something that I really hadn't fully understood enough, and I I thought that you you, you were a great teacher to me in that respect, that I realised that I had a lot to learn about how to actually deliver the the ultimate uh, request to somebody to sponsor you. So I give you credit for that. And you know what? That stood to your test because now the business side of your business and what you do with hype, um, which is an energy drink and and other aspects of... um, Formula One has an ability over most other sports that the
2: people, if they really stay clued in, they become great business people. Oh, thank you. And I and I wish you were saying that about my racing abilities. No,
1: I'm talking about <laughs> you, know, you. But
2: it's okay. It's okay. I'll take it. No, but uh, co- commercially, I, I don't know if I was lucky, but yeah, I, I, but look, it was my only way to succeed. I needed to to be commercially attractive to teams. And that's what it was. I didn't have... A rich family or something like that. My parents were 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 very very good and f- fantastic, but basically they could not finance this, so I had to find other ways. And I just adapted. I was determined, and I adapted. And and basically, I think commercially, I, you know, I got very lucky. I, I did some great deals in Formula One,
0: and I, I enjoyed that. Actually, I really enjoyed it. And is that something that drove you to Eddie mentioned their hype and energy drink, which? I believe you—you were, you were the founder of, but you can give us a little bit of background in that. And and you know, looking back, was was that you thinking, well, here's an opportunity to to make some money, and it, it's become a labor of love, or was it something you sort of tripped and fell into? The
2: first time I, I drank one of these products was a Red Bull, and I remember we called them the the gummy bear, and I tried it, and I thought, wow, this is really different. This 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 is special, and. Uh, then we got approached by a company called Hype to sponsor the team, but they didn't want to pay us money up front. They said, we're going to put it on the cars and then with the, the advertisement we're going to get, we're going to develop sales. And I said, yeah, that's not going <laughs> to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, that's I not going to work. That sounds right out of my top drawer. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that was a no-go. No. So basically I met the people then. And then when, when I... Retired from Formula One, I I met them again, and I said I wanted to take the distribution for France of their products, and basically very quickly the whole thing. These guys they they were crazy, you know, like you would expect, and uh, they spent all their money, and I saw opportunity to 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 buy the, the the brand and rebuild it from zero. And you know what is interesting is in, in, in my life I, I I went to school uni, and then I went racing driver and then I did hype and this is the only thing that I, I know and I still do it today and I love it it's something that that is it's extremely difficult because to, to the drinks industry is something very difficult because you have you know the, the the enormous brands Coca-Cola Red Bull Pepsi and then you have smaller brands it's very difficult to survive because it's an it, it's a business of Finance. is, is all finance. It's how much finance you have to, to, to finance your stock, your productions. But we, we've been doing great, and, and I must say, I, I, you know, I'm very happy I do it for 25 years. What is interesting is we're going to, uh, how do you say, celebrate our first billion can of one product that we make. It's called, it's a carbon fiber can, and, and we did it because of the Formula One history and all that. And we, we have made now one billion, we will do this summer.
0: Fantastic! That is a brilliant, brilliant business success story, Um, and also in life, you you've got kids. How many kids do you have? You three kids. Three kids. Um, One's musical, something very uh, close to EJ's heart. What are are the others? Others up? I have, yeah, yeah. I've been. I've
2: really fantastic kids, and uh, so I have a son which uh, is living in Dubai and he's doing business. Uh, He wants to move to the US. Uh, I have a daughter which is a, a singer she she lives here in london and and between london and dubai and she is just awesome she's extremely talented and you know if if unfortunately i die today i know she i'm not worried for her future because she she really has talent and determination i i she's a monster. It.
0: You, you'll see, you'll see. You know, Monsters I, are a competing brand to hype. I don't think you should mention Monster. Let's pick another <laughs> one. Go on, she's exceptional. Uh, look, I'm not afraid of competition.
2: I, I, I have to deal with Monster and Red Bull every day, but I know that our products are, are just better, you know? I'm very confident because you know what? I develop- do you believe him, David? I do, I well, do. You was, You're I'm very confident. confident. I'll you some. No, but i tell you what, you know why? Because I develop our products like a Formula One car, constant development. We never stop. I have a team and we constantly try to improve our products and we try to make them better. And if they're not appreciated, we change. And I love doing that. And, you know, every day I go in the office and they say, look, we, 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 we have changed this. We're going to add this ingredient. We'll change that. It's going to be better. And we design funny, interesting cans.
0: And I, I love this business. So let me ask a question because you mentioned you add different ingredients. So a few episodes ago, Eddie was sharing a story um, I believe it was was on the podcast or maybe you were sharing it off air with me personally but you mentioned um, uh, the um, sir S- sterling Moss uh, was involved in endorsing a product that would help men who were struggling to um, I'm struggling for the words yeah, here. Eddie knows. Eddie Impotent, knows. I'm I sure think. you know about <laughs> No, 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 so no. Could, you, could you come up with a product like that for gentlemen of Eddie's age that might need not only a little energy boost, but a little bit of a boost downstairs?
2: We are competing competing in some African country with a product called Longhorn. And, you know, it just works. It's uh, people buy, it, buy the product. Longhorn.
0: It is mentally... Uh, I'm mentally.
2: Sorry. <laughs> Do you want some? <laughs> uh,
1: the scenario, the, uh, my mind is a blur at the moment <laughs> thinking about what exactly is he going to come out with next. <laughs> I think we need to move on because I, what is important... Um, despite every reason why he wanted to kill me and why I wanted to avoid him. You still do?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait until after the podcast.
2: Anyway, um, I don't want to kill you anymore. Um, I remember one day we were in the lift, you know, at the summit of our hatred, when really, I, I really disliked him. We came in the lift together. It was a small lift in Italy at Monza. Do you remember? You're going to remind me though. Well, and you know, because I'm taller than him, I went on top of him like this. And I just went like, and he was really looking angry. He was ready to fight.
1: (laughs) I'll never forget that.
2: Would you have thrown a punch? I'll tell you,
1: I'm not laughing at this part of the action. And David, you should take his brilliant. side. He, he was thought, very right? close,
2: but he was—he was
1: scared. I was going to
2: do it first. Well, I was. You man, he
1: wanted. He told everyone in Belgium. If you remember the race we, we did in Spa, do you remember the whole track had been covered with "We love Bertram," "Fuck you, Eddie Jordan," and f- all these nasty things. And he wasn't even Belgian. You mean <laughs> the problem was? Hey, come on! You're not Belgian. <laughs> he's he's he, a mix of everything why
2: you got such a time in jail. If you really want to, let's go back to that. Okay. You know why I got nailed? Because I used his lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I got nailed. (laughs) And you know what? Let me tell you the bottom. the, The thing is, he wanted me to be convicted. He didn't want me to go to jail. That's for sure. I don't believe. He wanted me to be convicted because in the contract, in the agreement, it stated if I had a conviction, he could replace me. And because the car was so good, and I had his money. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and because the car was so good. Okay, I'm going to punch you before the end. Because the car was <laughs> so good, everybody was calling him. Jochen Neapash from Mercedes. People from everywhere, from all over the world, they wanted to, that car. You know, and they were offering a lot of money. And as he, bri- as he rightly said, stupidly, I had given the money that I could bring a sponsorship, I'd organize that the, the payment was done upfront because he needed cash. What I didn't think familiar? is that my manager- Does you sound
1: familiar? Yeah. Well,
2: that, what I didn't think was that my manager, which was supposed to look after my interest- Oh, please, come on, let's move on. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs>
1: sorry, okay. I now need to He's, move this on. David, please, I'm taking over here. He
2: wanted the conviction so he could get me out of the contract and make money to survive.
1: Well, do you remember what the clause
0: you said? It here
1: first. You brought the, the team into disrepute by going to jail. <laughs> e. so I
0: disrepute that, was I you did that to your always own always team several times. Every time you <laughs> exactly. played the spoons, you brought the team into disrepute. Uh, Talking
1: about music and spoons, I must tell you. Then, then roll on this um, because of the kind of uncertainty about the relationship. And then it must be about five years ago. Did,
2: but, did you see how cool. he's?
1: Come on, tell us the story about. We want to talk about Grace, because you went to great lengths of telling us about the great talent that your daughter has, and she's a great singer. Now tell can us Can we how. hear something, actually? Do yeah, we we have can we hear
0: from music? It's a boy tragedy.
2: What a voice. She writes. She has a voice. She's amazing. She's smart. Are you musically talented? Zero. Oh. Honestly, you, you if I say it have, rains in, in five minutes, it's zero.
1: Um, you and David have something in common then. Now, so now I'm going to roll back, and I invited you uh, during the summertime for your family to come and uh, eat and break bread with us uh, in Soto Grande with all our kids, and uh, we went from there. So please go ahead and tell us about them. Why yeah. did you come?
2: The first, The first thing I'd say is that with all the hatred between me and Eddie, uh, he's an exceptional character. You know, you you, you know he's a complete bastard, but you cannot dislike him. That's, that's the bottom line. And you know what I'm saying. Oh, you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, David does. Because he's always funny. He turns it around and it's, just, it's difficult. So, so that's the first thing. And he was different. And, you know, I have to say that I have a lot of respect for what he's achieved because what he did is absolutely amazing. So I always respected him as a professional. Now, what he did with some of his drivers, I didn't respect. And from a human point of view, I couldn't have done it because I'm not as hard as him. What? But no, I wouldn't do that. Thomas Danielson, Martin Donnelly. Oh yeah, <laughs> these continue. people, you know, these people. You were cruel with. And me, I think I did it more myself. But. You know, I, ha- I always respected what he has achieved because to go from where he was, you know, and become a winner in Formula 1, absolutely remarkable. You cannot believe how how difficult, what are the odds, you know. So I respected that. And I know that's, that, that, that's really all. And, you know, after that, I said, why should we keep fighting? We, we had a little court case and everything. I won, obviously, but... Yeah, he had to pay me some money, which he hates. <laughs> and did have to
0: pay him money. Didn't yeah, you did pay him some money. But you went to his family home and I, met I went with to a... Soto
2: Grande. Yeah, because I saw why,
0: why the hatred, you know,
2: now it's over, you know, Morted the war is the gone. Bridge. And and basically we we started to chat again and it was really fun. And he invited me to his family, beautiful family, beautiful home in Soto Grande. And um yeah, it, w- it was great. I came with my kids, his kids, and I thought it was really nice, you know, and it's it's a story that ends up much better than if we stayed both angry, uh, you know. I and think, go on, tell us then the situation with Grace in particular, because... No, but so Eddie is passionate about music. I don't know nothing about music, and I wanted to ask him for advice for, for my daughter. So I came, and said, Eddie, you, you're one of the best managers I ever known or met uh, because he knows how to make a deal, and we we just started to speak about Grace, and he loved his her music, and uh, because he's really passionate about it, much more than motorsport. I agree. He really helped Grace, and uh, I'm really thankful for that. And you know, I just think it's a, it's a good conclusion to something we could have carried on being angry for for what.
0: Uh, I think this is a beautiful point to say, Bertrand. Thank you so much for taking your time to come here to share some of the stories. I think this in itself can be the beginning of an eight part series. There's so many, the truth behind Eddie Jordan. He likes to sort of brush over the surface, but um, amazing journey, an amazing career. You're an amazing man. Thank you very much for uh, coming here and meaning I don't have to spend an hour on my own in a room with Eddie. You've you've definitely brought an energy. I really appreciate it. And well, look, that's it for this week from us. And uh, just left to say that if the listeners can get in touch with the show, and you can get in touch with the show at ffs at whisper.tv. And you can also follow us on social media at F1 for success. I've said my goodbyes and my thanks, but I feel, Eddie, the last word should go to you.
1: What I admire most about it is your ability to put things that hurt you and went against your life uh, behind because uh, the way you accepted coming to our home and the way we all got on together. And then what's most important was I said I would take Grace a little bit under my wing and uh, I sent her to London to Luca. And um, Luca brought her to, to the studio and she teaching her about stage presence, about singing and where the, you know, breath. and. The, she was a very young girl. I mean, she's such a megastar. She could be Beyonce. This girl is sensational. And um, I feel if something was really good to come here, I feel very proud, Bertram, that, you know, it all happened in that lunchtime in Sotta Grande. So fingers crossed, I have every belief that she can make it. Big time and what we need to do is to make sure that the right label comes together and appreciate her. I've seen all the videos that she's done. Um, and I think the people, our listeners, will soon be hearing Grace Gasho in full blood. May I shake your hand?
0: Have you still got five fingers?
2: Uh, Four. Uh, Where's my watch?
0: (laughs) Uh, I think we may need to leave the room. This is going to get (laughs) a muscle between these two. No, uh, it will never can. But anyway,
1: I appreciate uh, because not many others would have come in the circumstances. So uh, 100%, you're fantastic for coming here and it's well appreciated.
2: Well said. Thank you. And really nice to be here.